With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Provided by Bensound.com. Welcome, everyone, to today's Earth Energy Forecast Show on this Tuesday, December 17, 2019. Thank you for listening today or if you're listening later to the podcast. I am your host, Joan Serio. Today, I am honored to have on the show one of Mother Earth's greatest advocates, Dr. Helen Caldicott. The single most articulate and passionate advocate of citizen action to remedy the nuclear and environmental crises, Dr. Helen Caldicott has devoted the last 42 years to an international campaign to educate the public about the medical hazards of the nuclear age and the necessary changes in human behavior to stop environmental destruction. Dr. Caldicott received her medical degree from the University of Adelaide Medical School in South Australia in 1961. She founded the Cystic Fibrosis Clinic at the Adelaide Children's Hospital and subsequently was an instructor in pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. While living in the U.S., she was the president of Physicians for Social Responsibility. She helped start similar medical organizations in many other countries. One of these groups, the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1985. She also founded the Women's Action for Nuclear Disarmament in 1980. Dr. Caldicott has received many prizes and awards for her work, including the Lannan Foundation's 2003 Prize for Cultural Freedom and 21 honorary doctoral degrees. She was personally nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Linus Pauling, himself a Nobel laureate. The Smithsonian has named her as one of the most influential women of the 20th century. She has written for numerous publications and has authored seven books. She has also been the subject of several films, including the documentary, If You Love This Planet, which won the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 1982. Dr. Caldicott is the president of the Helen Caldicott Foundation slash nuclearfreeplanet.org. Her website is helencaldicott.com. Welcome to the show, Dr. Caldicott. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you very much. So I'm so interested in how you got started with all this wonderful work. Uh, how, How did your work progress to uh, to the point where you worked to help remedy the nuclear environmental crises that we face today? Okay, well, I when I was about 16, I read a book by an Australian author called Neville Shute um, called On the Beach, 
uh, and it was about a nuclear war that occurred by accident in the Northern Hemisphere, which could happen today. Everyone died, and gradually the radiation came down to the Southern Hemisphere, and I lived in Melbourne, which is far south in Australia, and it described how the government dispensed cyanide capsules to families so they could kill their babies immediately rather than dying of acute radiation illness, vomiting and bleeding to death. Um, and at the end of the book, that was the end of the human race. Everyone in Melbourne died, and that marked my soul. Um, I was never the same again. I've always been scared of nuclear war, and in fact, we're closer to nuclear war than we've ever been before, according to Mikhail Gorbachev and William Perry, former Secretary of Defence and the like. And people don't seem to worry about it anyway. I then entered medical school at 17 and had a wonderful biology teacher called Peter Martin and I learned what radiation does to genes, um, Muller's experiments with Drosophila fruit fly and irradiating them and I learned that radiation mutates genes to cause genetic abnormalities and also cancer. And at the time, uh, Russia, and it was 57, 58, 57. Uh, 56, Russia and America were testing bombs in the atmosphere like there's no tomorrow. And I couldn't understand what these stupid men were doing, irradiating millions of people with fallout, um, having learnt what I learnt at medical school. Mm-hmm. I tried to organise people at the university, but they thought I was a dumb Sheila. That's what they call women in Australia, Sheila. And so I, I gave up doing that, but I always was intensely curious and read everything I could find about nuclear weapons and proliferation and the like. So that's what started me off. It's a long story. Um, when I finished medical school, um, we went. To, I had three babies in quick succession, three years. Came to America for three years where I worked at Harvard in the cystic fibrosis clinic. Um, My mother died at the end of that time in Australia and I I became profoundly depressed. And after that, um, I I came home and I worked in a hospital in a renal unit and pricked my finger and uh, three months to the day I developed acute hepatitis B and I actually nearly died. I was close to death, almost died. And Mm. when I recovered, I thought, My life doesn't belong to me anymore. I'm here to serve. Um, And shortly after that, oh, and I read Germaine Greer, a female eunuch, so I suddenly thought, my God, can I say those things? Be myself. And that changed my life radically. And then uh, someone leaked to me um, a document about high radiation levels in the Adelaide water supply because the French were testing bombs in the air in the Pacific, violating international laws. Um, and so I wrote a letter to the paper about this, how children can get leukemia by drinking radioactive milk and the like. They didn't publish the letter, so I, I called the editor and I said, hey, where's my letter? And he then published it. And then I was that night asked to be on television. And over nine months, I was often on television as the French tested more bombs. What I didn't realize was that the Australians don't like the French, they think they're arrogant, and the Australians were really, really cross. People stopped buying French wine, French cheese, they wouldn't deliver French mail, I mean, it was, and and we had huge marches in city streets, 
And at the end of nine months, 75% of Australians said, we won't have those bloody French blowing up their bloody bombs in the Southern Hemisphere. And our Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam, and the New Zealand Prime Minister took France to the International Court of Justice and they were forced to test underground, which was, I mean, we didn't get fallout, but they were still testing their bombs and polluting those wonderful islands in the Pacific. So I saw what President Jefferson said, an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. And it was really quite an outstanding... And at the time I led that movement, actually, I was working as a, an intern at the Adelaide Children's Hospital because I hadn't uh, got a degree from the, Royal from the Royal Australian College of Physicians to be a physician uh, so that I could be a, a, an operating paediatrician and set up a clinic to see if patients in Adelaide, because they're all dying at about age of four. The attitude at that time was they've got a lethal, fatal, a fatal genetic disease, and the sooner they die, the better. So mm -hmm. they said, you can't have any clinic because you're not qualified. So I thought, well, I said to my husband, you've studied and become a paediatric radiologist at Harvard. Now it's my turn. You can mind the kids, and I'll do work 80 hours a week. So... During the time of the French test protest, the hospital switchboard got more calls about French tests than they did about patients. <laughs> and I was called to the administrator's office, and I said, well, are my patients suffering? And he said, no. Um, so after, after I got my degree, um, member of the Royal Australasian College of Physicians, I then set up the CF Clinic in Adelaide, which was the first in Australia and it has the best longevity results now of any clinic in Australia. So that was good. Shall I go on or will I stop? Well, I think you should go on because this is quite interesting, and then, uh, and then I'll ask you some other questions. So All right. Okay. Yes, please so go I'll on. How you really got started, the yes. The um, then uh, after that victory and, uh, and setting up the CF Clinic, um, I found out that our then Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam, who was really a wonderful Prime Minister, wanted to mine and sell uranium. And I knew nothing about nuclear power at all. So I went to the Adelaide Smith, Adelaide University Barsmith Library and I got out a book called Poison Power by Goffman and Tamplin. Now, they worked for the Atomic Energy Commission. Goffman was a physician um, and he helped to discover plutonium, actually, and they were commissioned by the Atomic Energy Commission to write a book about nuclear power and its medical dangers. And when I read that book, my hair nearly fell out on the desk. I'd never read anything so extraordinarily dangerous in my whole medical career. Um, I wrote a letter to the paper. They weren't interested. Uh, I went to see the Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam. He wasn't interested either. But I had a friend who was an engine driver, and he said, look, let's write to all the unions in Australia and ask if you can come and talk to them. The moment, at the time, there were 76 unions in South Australia, the Boilermakers Union, the Pastry Cooks Union, everyone. And I wrote to them, and they said, yes, you can come and talk to us, but we need the job. So I would go all over Australia, you know, get up at 6 and go and speak to the men who were going out in Darwin to do various jobs and I'd talk to them as they ate their breakfast and drank their tea and coffee and I had a dirty old blackboard and it was the, the floor was a dirt floor 
but I drew genes, I drew testicles, I drew sperm. I explained how radiation can damage genes to produce genetic abnormalities in their offspring or cause them to develop cancer or inhale radon gas while they're mining uranium. And I got around to speak to unions all over Australia. Um, and finally, I ended up at the Adelaide um, big union meeting, the Trade and Labor Council, and they said, you've got 10 minutes to talk. And they'd all had a fair bit of beer to drink before I started because that's what Australian men do. And, uh, you know, half, and I started talking, and they were talking during my speech. And I thought, what am I going to do to shut them up? So after five minutes of this, I started talking about radiation effect upon their testicles, and that shut them up. Yeah, I bet it was. Oh, it works. Yep, always works for the men. Um, I had five minutes to finish, and at the end I'd say, we don't want our our kids growing up in a world like that. And they'd send a message to the Prime Minister. So shortly after that, I actually left for America for a a sabbatical. Um, But uh, after I left, the whole Australian... Trades and Labor Council, all the unions in Australia, all the workers, voted to ban uranium mining, to ban transport and to ban export of uranium. And there there was another victory uh, by educating people. They mm-hmm. respond in a, in a responsible fashion. Um, and uh, But that ban only lasted three years. We've got a Prime Minister called Bob Hawke. He was a larrikin. A larrikin means a guy who sleeps with lots of women, drinks a lot of beer, but he was a fairly good Prime Minister, except that he he closed down the ban or aborted it and opened it up to say, well, we'll have a free mind policy, just three minds, which is like saying to a patient, well, don't worry, you're just a little bit pregnant, don't worry about it. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a dreadful thing that happened. Then when I moved to America, because I knew now... Uh, a lot about nuclear power. Uh, I was asked to speak at various places, um, and then someone asked me to write a book. Um, and I said, I don't want to write a book. I've never written a book. And they said, well, well, you can tape it, speak into a recorder and tape it. Well, I tried that, but it didn't work. So I ended up writing a book called Nuclear Madness, outlining all the medical implications of nuclear power. I also was asked by Arnold Grillman, the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, to write an article about medical dangers of nuclear power. So I spent a year in the Countway Library in Harvard writing the article and researching the literature. And it was a good article, but when it went to peer review, the people said, the doctor said, well, you didn't say anything good about nuclear power, and it was rejected. And I said, well, there isn't anything medically good about nuclear power. Unfortunately, I got a bit depressed after that, and I lost the article, which was a pity. But anyway, I learned an awful lot. So I became one of the world's experts on the medical effects of nuclear power. I wrote that book, um, and it did very well. At the same time, I was working at Harvard, and a young doctor came to see me because there was a referendum in Cambridge against all things nuclear. Well, at MIT, there's a nuclear reactor, 
And Harvard, of course, handles a lot of nuclear stuff. Um, and he, he came and said, I wanted, you know, some information. So um, we talked about it, and I told him what to read. And I, then I said, look, Ira, this is a medical problem. Let's start a medical organization. And so there happened to be a, a medical organization called Physicians for Social Responsibility, which was operating in the early 60s, um, about fallout and strontium-90 getting into children's teeth and describing the medical effects of a bomb dropping on Boston, New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and so that, that organization has, had died, it was dead, but it was still registered in the state of Massachusetts. So we decided that we'd call it by that name, but this was a totally different organization. So we started and I put together an ad the New England Journal of Medicine on the medical dangers of nuclear power, and it happened to be published the day after Three Mile Island happened. Well, oh. we were besieged, mm -hmm. besieged, besieged by doctors, and we just we were operating out, out of a little broom cupboard in a in a a, a, a cactus in, in Harvard Square, and then we had to move because we had so many, and so that started the whole movement of Physicians for Social Responsibility. And I then got around um, to all over the country doing what we call grand rounds, talking to doctors in their weekly medical meetings mm -hmm. where they might hear about a neurological problem or renal problems, and I would present the medical dangers of nuclear power. And in that way, over five years, we recruited... Uh, we, we had 153 chapters and 23,000 doctors. And oh, that's amazing. Wow. They were writing op-ed pieces, they were appearing on television, on radio. And meanwhile, we organized a series of symposia on the medical effects of nuclear war. And they became profoundly popular at Harvard and Stanford and Chicago, all over. Um, and we were given quite a lot of money by the Rockefellers and others. And... What happened was at one of the symposia, I was the final speaker, and I, I said, why immunize our children when they don't have a future? And a, a person came up and said, look, I'm an agent in Hollywood. I'd like to work with you. And I said, I don't have any money. And she said, well, I'll work for you for free. So she got me on Merv Griffin, on Phil Donahue, on the Today Show, on, uh, you know, in Vogue, Lifetime. And so gradually, well, it took a, a couple of years, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Sixpack sitting back watching their television on 60 Minutes, uh, they learned about the medical dangers of, of nuclear war. Mm -hmm. And so by, by the you know, end of a few years, almost everyone in America was frightened about nuclear war. And then from that came a film called The Day After about a bomb dropping on a... Midwestern town, and everybody in America watched it. Psychologists were employed to mm -hmm. counsel people after the film. Yes. It was so deadly. Reagan saw it, and after that, well, I'd already met with Reagan in the Oval Office. I mean, not in the White House for an hour and a quarter, explaining to him about the medical effects of nuclear war. He was quite uptight. For half the time, I had to hold his hand to reassure him because he really didn't know anything. I'd just oh written a gosh. book called Missile Envy, 
so I knew everything about the whole nuclear arms race. Um, I came out saying I think he has impending Alzheimer's, and that diagnosis was accurate. But anyway, after I saw him, and after he saw that film, he said nuclear war must never be fought and can never be won. And he and Gorbachev had seen our doctors too on television in Moscow. And so they got together and they met at Reykjavik. Um, and they almost agreed, two mere mortals, men, to abolish nuclear weapons. They almost agreed. But Reagan was stuck in his childlike simplicity on Star Wars. He sort of thought there would be a big shield on, over America and the Russian missiles would come in and go boink, boink, and bounce off the shield. Oh. It would never work. Gorbachev oh. knew it would never work. But Gorbachev would not agree with... Reagan said, well, we'll abolish nuclear weapons, but I want Star Wars. And so the talks founded on that point but they did produce quite a good arms control agreement. So the opportunity to save the planet from nuclear annihilation was lost. Anyway, when that happened and the Berlin Wall came down subsequently, we were so tired, we just lay on our couches and said, well, that's it, we, you know, we've done it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the media started talking about peace dividends and the money that goes to the Pentagon, an obscene amount of money every year, a trillion dollars, um, will be now reallocated to infrastructure and medical care and the like. Well, that didn't happen because the military industrial corporations, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, BAE, etc., etc., they need war. Um, and yeah. so, although Reagan had agreed with Gorbachev after the Cold War ended and the Berlin Wall came down that the little um, European countries, Lithuania, Latvia, etc., would not be, become part of NATO, that the, the head of Lockheed Martin, Norman Augustine, didn't like that. So he set off on a conquest to convince all these little countries that they need to be, quote, quote, democracies, and they need to join NATO. And to, to join NATO, they had to spend about $3 billion on weapons. And he got around to all those countries. So what happened was, although America had promised Gorbachev that those countries would stay free, they all joined NATO, and NATO is America. And they all got armed, and now... America's putting missile systems right up on the border of Russia and being extremely provocative. Oh. And oh. if you imagine Russia coming to Canada and, you know, lining missiles up on the border of Canada, what would America do? She'd probably mm -hmm. blow up the world like she nearly did with the Cuban Missile Crisis. So we yeah. missed the yeah. opportunity. And those wicked, wicked, wicked corporations now are spending you know, over a trillion dollars a year. In fact, since the... Let me see if I've got, got it here. Since 9-11... Oh, I had a piece of paper on it. Um, America's killed half a million people, I think, and spent about a trillion dollars on war and killing. Yeah, I believe it. No, I don't. Sad. I don't have it here. So, well, I've just written an article 
which I sent to the New York Times and they wouldn't publish it, so I've had to publish it in a little sort of online journal in Australia, but it's going around the, on, on, online and being posted everywhere. I said that America has no enemies. Russia was communist, but now she's one of the leading capitalist countries in the world. Russia hasn't invaded any country, despite what they say about the Ukraine and the Crimea. She hasn't, and I won't go into that. America's invaded, I don't know how many countries, in Central and South America and all over the world, Iraq, um, Yemen, uh, uh, Libya, etc. Um, and Russia, we need Russia to be a friend because Russia's got 12 hydrogen bombs targeted on New York. Twelve. Two oh my gosh. on each airport, two on each bridge, one on each tunnel and the like. I mean, you can't imagine the targeting. And these are hydrogen bombs, you know, by orders of magnitude larger than the Hiroshima and Nagasaki mm -hmm. bombs. Like, one bomb would just evaporate New York and everyone in it. Every town in America with a population of 50,000 or more is targeted with at least one Russian bomb. So, so... The people God. we really need to befriend are the Russians because the only real terrorists in the world are Russia and America. Between them, they've got, oh, I don't know, 10,000 hydrogen bombs targeted at each other and Europe and the like. Um, and nuclear war would take about one hour to complete, one hour. There's an idiot as president in America, and he's the one who can press the button. Um, there's a soldier carrying the codes around to start a nuclear war with him the whole time. He's not very stable emotionally. Um, and so we're in grave, grave danger. So America has no enemies, and it's very important that they make friends with Russia. And that's the only thing that Trump is doing well, is he's making friends with Putin. What's wrong with that? There's nothing. And Russia really didn't interfere in your election. And yet, let's be frank. America's interfered in almost every election since the Second World War, all around the world. America's so hypocritical and superior in its attitude to itself, to its, towards itself. Anyway, um, so I said that America's got no enemies. And what enemies? And what America needs to do is to befriend nations all around the world. The Pentagon is the Department of War and Killing. It's not the Department of Defense. You don't have to defend yourself because there are no enemies. Um, and the Pentagon should be closed down, shut. And the trillion dollars a year, which uh, just, Congress has just voted $784 billion, and but it's really up to a trillion, um, for the Pentagon just now. Huge amount of money. And it all goes into the coffers of Lockheed Martin, Boeing, etc. So the Pentagon should be shut down. That money reallocated to saving the planet, putting solar panels on every single house, putting windmills everywhere, offshore windmills, um, uh, housing the homeless, free medical care, free mm -hmm. education, fixing the infrastructure. I mean, the, actually, the solutions to save the planet are here right now. Now. Right now, and the money spent on killing and death has to be transferred to life. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly Here agree. Here ends my monologue. <laughs>
Well, I, I, I agree with you, Dr. Caldicott. Uh, we do have the resources, and we've had free energy, and I've had people on the show talk about free energy and have been yeah. uh, using it and what Tesla had found. And, you know, it's been the big oil companies, again, the corporations, that have kept it squashed. Yes, and because and, and the, the world spends, the world government spends billions and billions of dollars subsidizing the fossil fuel industry. That should be closed mm-hmm. down now. And I write about yes. that in my article. In fact, if I find my article, I can just read to you quickly, because mm. um, I thought it was quite lyrical, although I'd say it myself and shouldn't, as my mother would say. Um, <laughs> let's see what I... <laughs> Here it is. Okay. I'll just write. I might read you the whole article because it's actually everything that I think at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I write this piece as a physician, expertly trained to make accurate diagnoses to either cure patients or to alleviate their symptoms. I therefore approach the viability of life on Earth from a similar and honest perspective. Hence. For some, this may be an extremely provocative article, but as the planet is in the intensive care unit, we have no time to waste and the startling truth must be accepted. As T.S. Eliot wrote so long ago, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Will we gradually burn and shrivel the wondrous creation of evolution by emitting the ancient carbon stored over billions of years to drive our cars and power our industries? Or will we end it suddenly with our monstrous weapons within which we have captured the energy powering the sun? Here's a stark diagnosis from a U.S. perspective. The Department of Defense has nothing to do with defense because it is, in effect, the Department of War. Over $1 trillion of U.S. taxpayers' money is stolen annually to create and build the most hideous weapons of death and destruction, even to launch killing machines from space. And since 9-11, $6 trillion trillion have been allocated to the slaughter of over half a million people, almost all of whom were civilians, men, women, and children. Brilliant people, mostly men, are employed by the massive military-industrial corporations, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, BAE, United Technologies, to name a few, deploying their brain power to devise better and more hideous ways of killing. From an unbiased perspective, the only true terrorists today are Russia and the United States of America, both of which have several thousand hydrogen bombs, larger by orders of magnitude than the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs, on hair-trigger alert, ready to be launched with a press of a button in the U.S. by the President. This so-called nuclear exchange would take little over one hour to complete. As in Japan, people would be seared to bundles of smoking char as their internal organs boiled away. And over time, the global environment would be plunged into another ice age called nuclear winter, annihilating almost all living organisms, including ourselves. But the stark truth is that the United States of America has no enemies. Russia, once a sworn communist power, is now a major capitalist country, and the so-called war on terror is just an excuse to keep this massive killing enterprise alive and well. Donald Trump is right 
right when he says we need to make friends with the Russians because it's the Russian bomb that could and might annihilate America. Indeed, we need to foster friendship with all nations throughout the planet and reinvest the billions and trillions of dollars spent on war, killing and death to saving the ecosphere by powering the world with renewable energy, including solar, wind and geothermal, and planting trillions of trees. Such a move would also free up billions of dollars to be reallocated to life, such as free medical care for all U.S. citizens, free education for all, to house the homeless, to hospitalise the mentally sick, to register all citizens to vote, and to invest in the abolition of nuclear weapons. The United States of America urgently needs to rise to its full moral and spiritual height and lead the world to sanity and survival. I know this is possible because in the 1980s, millions of wonderful people rose up nationally and internationally to end the nuclear arms race and to end the Cold War. This, then, is a sound template upon which we must act. Wonderful article. Where did you have that published, Dr. Caldecott? That was in the Independent in, in Australia. It's an online uh -huh. journal, the in, uh -huh. Independent. Um, but it's also and, now on my webpage, and mm -hmm. it's also been posted on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good article, too. I think, <laughs> I think it's the best article I've ever written. Well, it certainly needs to get uh, out there, and and I agree with you that, that education, yes, that uh, education yeah. does make a difference in forming people. Information well, it is makes power. All difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, why do you think we're closer now to nuclear war than we've ever been? Because of ignorance. It, 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 Specifically, oh, American ignorance. We've got, or, we've got um, a mentally unstable person with the, with the button at his disposal. Also, because there's proliferation of nuclear weapons now, India and Pakistan are quite volatile, uh, especially over the Kashmir border. They're both armed with nuclear weapons, and you know, a small nuclear war could start there, which would then almost certainly bring in the major superpowers and, and their military uh -huh. plans for nuclear war. Um, then there's China. Well, she's only got a few. She's only got about 200 nuclear weapons. France, of course, has nuclear weapons, but she won't start a war. England has nuclear weapons. I think they have got theirs to replace their lost empire. Um, who else has nuclear weapons? I can't think, but it, it's really the proliferation and the hot spots around the world. And why on earth people keep fighting? And much of the, of many of the wars are about religion. And yes. <laughs> let's face yes. it, there is, yes. is no God. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a physician, I'm a scientist, there isn't a God. But uh, they fight about these things which are so irrelevant. What we need to do is, is save our, the glorious creation. When you think that there are 35 million galaxies, million or billion, and Probably more like billion. we're part mm -hmm. of only one galaxy, mm -hmm. and they think there may be another universe. I mean, how incredibly fortunate we are to have inherited this glorious planet with, with the life that 
that we behold. Yeah. And yeah. we're so stupid now. With uh, yeah. I mean, you, we're, we're, I think we're evolutionary aberrant. Um, our brain is too big for our moral sense. And and it's mostly men who've done this, which really pisses me off. Um, I thought time women took over the world. Um, yeah, there are some bad ones, but the magic number of women in an enterprise is 30%, below which mm-hmm. they vote to please the men. Above 30% uh, representation of women in a corporation, in academia, wherever, uh, they say, we're not voting for missiles today, we're voting for milk for children. And it's across the board because our bodies were built to nurture life. Our hormones are made to hurt nurture life. Men's hormones, I think, are made to, to kill the territorial imperative and the like. Um, and it's time we took over. They've really screwed it up. Now, I was going to ask you, I'm sure, I'm imagining, let's put it that way, that it was more difficult for you to get all this information out being a woman. No, it wasn't really. Well, at that time I was young and quite attractive. I had this accent which Americans think is British, and they sort of admire the British, but I'm Australian. Um, And uh, I'm smart, and, and I was able to express myself eloquently I suppose and I was a doctor but it's interesting because people say what can I do? I came to America in 78 and started leading this movement. I was an alien I was a woman I was a doctor, yes but sort of like Joan of Arc, I led with the help of so many other people, this incredible revolution. It was the second American revolution and so nothing can stop you if you decide to save the planet. Nothing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So where are we today in the uh, doomsday clock? We're heading towards um, annihilation. Global warming is upon us. Australia is going to have the hottest week it's ever had in its history. 50 degrees, 50 degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Um, you know, we've got huge forest fires burning and forests are just exploding with flames lifting, you know, lift, lifting 50 feet into the air, just exploding. Um, there's a drought, which, which is very severe. The rivers are drying up. The fish are dying in the rivers. Um, and there's no... And our stupid Prime Minister... He's an evangelical Christian. He says, you know, pray. Pray for rain. Um, and he's for digging up coal. We've got a huge amount of coal. We are the, one of the biggest emitters of CO2 per capita in the world in Australia. And that's not counting the coal that we export to China and India and everywhere else, which all adds to global warming. We did not do well at the recent climate conference. Uh, we did very badly. Um, and that's sort of typical of many countries in the world because the politicians are corporate prostitutes. They are yes. owned and funded by the corporations. However, we are not using our democracy. The truth is that our politicians are our representatives and we are their leaders. 
And what we need to do is get off our bottoms, leave our computers, go and see our politician every week when he or she comes home to the district and teach them about the medical effects of nuclear war, how close it is. Well, first you have to teach yourselves and about global warming and make them read books and say, if you don't do thus, thus and thus, I'm going to make sure I going to make sure you're not re-elected next time. Then you can get out and door knock all over the, your electorate um, and change change the uh, the policies through changing your representatives. You can even run for Congress yourself. And yes, get rid I... of these blasted corporations who dominate Congress. Yes. Yes. Dominate Congress. And this Mitch McConnell is one of the most evil guys in the world. He's alongside with Rupert Murdoch, who's a fellow countryman of mine. Interesting. Well, we were seeing a lot of people now uh, becoming more active uh, in various countries, Venezuela, uh, Brazil, yes, Italy, you know, it, um, you know. So, so Iran, people are finally, Iraq. yeah, yes. People are finally finding their voice, and I think that's really what needs to happen. It's good, and but what, what needs to happen is these gorgeous young children led by Greta Thunberg, they need not just to be marching outside, they need to take over Parliament. Millions of kids need to walk into our Parliament House in Canberra in Australia and take it over. Um, mm -hmm. Millions of kids need to walk into Congress and the Senate and take it over. I had an idea years ago, I said that and it was called Babies Against the Pentagon, that, that hundreds of mothers with young, you know, toddlers could enter the Senate chamber while they're debating nuclear weapons or something, and they could probably get in because they wouldn't be a threat. They'd go through the security machines and then release hundreds of naked toddlers onto the Senate floor <laughs> as an expression of what we're trying to save. Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm, precious mm -hmm. they are, um, yeah, yeah. and and the senators clean, can clean up the mess that they would make. Yes, if only we would rule like a lot of the indigenous tribes. No, but that so would... everyone, that, that's the thing that could actually happen. People could do that. You see, mm -hmm. it's it's mm -hmm. possible. It is. It is possible. Yes, uh, but you know, and a lot of the indigenous tribes ruled, and they made their decisions based on seven generations to come, because I they know. wanted yeah, to ensure that. Yeah, but we, know, yeah, but we've we've got to we do don't that. See it. We don't do that. No, we I, don't do that. As, no, but as Martin Luther King said, if you don't have an issue worth dying for, you're not really living. And I was prepared to die for this. I had eight death threats. I think the oh. CIA removed me as president of physicians for social responsibility. I mean, I think you have to be at that level mm -hmm. and not give mm -hmm. a damn because what's your life yeah. compared yeah. to the creation? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. we've got to get it in perspective. Yes. And yes. be brave and get out there and just use your creativity. So where are we uh, with the Fukushima 
catastrophe. Do you know anything about how, well, how the yes, ocean yeah, I do. Certainly I know about it, and I've written a book about it called Crisis Without End. It's a, it's a, a catastrophe which will never, ever be resolved. So, oh. so Abe, the Prime Minister of, of Japan, in his wickedness, has decided to have the 2020 Olympics at Fukushima. That's where the, the um, race mm-hmm. starts, and they're going to have... Mm-hmm football games there and baseball games and the, and the ground's really very radioactive. So these beautiful young bodies who've trained themselves to glory uh, are going to be exposed by inhaling radioactive elements in the dust by being exposed to gamma radiation which is being given off from the ground like x-rays from the various isotopes, strontium, cesium and the like. Then they'll probably eat radioactive food, um, much of the food in Fukushima Prefecture, which is a wonderful area for growing peaches and rice and everything, is now radioactive. Um, uh, their three reactors were melted down. They will never be able to get the melted radioactive fuel, which is melted into the ground, They'll never be able to recover. It's so radioactive, no one can go near it. When they send computers down to try and find out what's happening, they just melt. Um, Robots. Wow. Uh, Wow. If there's another earthquake greater than seven on the Richter scale, um, one or several of the buildings could collapse onto the molten fuel and release huge, huge amounts of radiation, much more than was ever released initially, which could pollute people throughout the Northern Hemisphere. The two hemispheric air masses don't mix at the equator, so it would only be the Northern Hemisphere. If that happened, I'm going to fly my family out from Boston to Australia immediately. Um, water pours down from the mountains underneath the reactors. When they were intact, it was fine, but now it mixes with the deadly radioactive molten core and pours into the ocean at, uh, I can't remember, 300, I can't remember, 300 tonnes of radioactive water a day pour into the Pacific, and that's been happening since the accident in 2011, and those radioactive elements, strontium, cesium and the like, bioconcentrate by orders of magnitude at each step of the food chain, algae, crustaceans, little fish, big fish, us. And so the fish swim thousands of miles carrying the radioactive elements. Radioactive tuna has been caught in, uh, in California, etc. and fish swim all over the place. And as well, they're pouring huge amounts of water into the molten cores to make sure they don't remelt. And that water is very radioactive and it's stored in thousands of huge tanks which are only built to last six or five years, right next to the Pacific Ocean. So if there's another earthquake, those tanks will collapse and this huge amount of water, a million tonnes, I think, of highly, of highly radioactive water will pour into the Pacific. They say they've removed the strontium and the cesium and the hundred other or so, hundred or so other elements and it's only got tritium in it, which is also extremely carcinogenic. But in fact, they didn't remove 
all the other elements, and that's a disaster waiting to happen. In fact, they're running out of space, their tanks, and they are now postulating that they will release this radioactive water into the Pacific. Um, oh, what else can I tell you about it? I mean, it's just an absolute disaster which will never yeah. be alleviated. Yeah, and it's only a matter of time. Yeah, no, they don't. No, they don't want people to know. That's 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 the crime of it. Yep. And well, it's only no, a matter of time. Well, Christ, crisis without end, and it comes from a symposium I held at the New York Academy of Medicine some years ago, and I got the, the best physicists and physicians and engin nuclear engineers from around the world who gave presentations. And if you go to my webpage, you'll find that book, Crisis Without End, about Fukushima. Yes. And it's only a matter of time before there's another earthquake there. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, because there's there's more and more um, severe earthquakes and volcanic activity and stuff that's happening now. So it's... Yeah. So it's not a very well, good you know, picture, is it? You know what? I think we, <laughs> I think we've covered the waterfront. Um, Joan, is there any outstanding issue that we haven't addressed? I mean, we've addressed most of them. I I think we have. Um, so, what what can we do? Is there anything that we can do, Doctor Caldicott? Well, I've other than you, what I've you been said, telling you the whole time what you can do. <laughs> you, you turn into Joan of Arc and John of Arc and get on your feet and, <laughs> and, and, and change America. I mean, you live in uh -huh. a democracy. I, I did it. If I did it, you can. I uh -huh. get cross with people and say, well, what can I do? <laughs> and you feel so much better when you... when you. But you have to... You, what you must do is three things. First, educate yourself. You need to go to my webpage, helencaldicott.com, and read... All the books there. If you love mm -hmm. this planet, mm -hmm. uh, nuclear uh, nuclear madness, uh, missile envy, uh, crisis without end, sleepwalking to Armageddon. Uh, I'm looking at them now. Nuclear power is not the answer. The new nuclear danger. And you can read my autobiography, A Desperate Passion. Educate yourselves. Really imbibe that information so that you can win any debate against stupid McConnell or any of them. Beat them. Then you'll go through a, a process of grief, which Kubler-Ross described. The first will be shock and disbelief. How bad is this? The second will be depression. Allow yourself to be depressed. Don't you know, turn on the music or have a glass of wine to make yourself feel better. Well, you can sometimes. But get my point. You have to really go through this. And then one day you'll wake up and you'll know what you want to do. Anger. Anger is appropriate. Anger is a very profoundly important emotion. People say mm -hmm. you mustn't be angry. We have to be terribly angry. It's like the Germans watching the Jews going off to the gas ovens, you know. Got to be angry and stop this wickedness. Um, and the brain gets really active. I mean, if you're chased by a bull, you can actually jump a fence six feet high because you pump out adrenaline, pushes up the blood sugar level, etc. 
So, and, and you will wake up and you don't know what you'll be inspired to do. And I'll end with one last anecdote. There was a woman called Joan Beaucaire who heard me give a speech in a Southern Baptist church years ago about the threat of nuclear war. And she became so depressed, she could hardly get out of bed for a year. She could hardly cut a loaf of bread. She was so depressed. One day she woke up and a light turned on in her head and she knew what she was going to do. So she went along, put on her best shoes and her pearls and went to the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank, which is for nuclear war, uh, funded by Ocean Spray, Cranberries, Hertz, Rent-A-Car, Holiday Inns and the like. And she got a job there and she worked and got paid and at night when they went home she went through all their files and read everything that they were up to after a year she thanked them very much she left and she travelled across America like Joan of Arc and went to every synagogue and church and told them what the Heritage Foundation had planned now she did that she didn't even know she was going to do it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I can tell you myriad stories like that I hope this inspires so many people to do what you just said, Dr. Caldecott, <laughs> to follow those three All right, steps well, and follow your heart. <laughs> yeah, you've got to follow your heart and your soul. Yes. Rise to your full moral and spiritual height. Hold the world like Atlas on your shoulders. Yes, and love her because she is, she's our mother. She's our planet. Well, you only do it because you love her. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll end with this, with this one last admonition. Just think how lucky we are that your sperm, out of the millions of sperm ejaculated by your father that night, each different, your sperm reached your egg. What a privilege. What an incredible act of luck. And we're here to save the planet. Yes, we are. And thank you so much for all that you've done, for devoting most of your life to doing this. It has been an act of well, love it's and been service. My pleasure. It's been, yeah, it's been an act of love, yes. Yes. My pleasure. And may all of us, yeah, find the love in our hearts to love our Mother yes. Earth and, and to save her. Yep. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Dr. you very Dalton, much, Joan. For being on the show okay. today. Okay. Bye bye. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. Uh, There won't be a show next Tuesday on Christmas Eve, but I'll be back on the following Tuesday, New Year's Eve, with Jude Valentine, our resident astrologer, when she'll tell us about the astrology for 2020. It will be a great show. A blessed solstice and happy holidays to all. And may we all find it in our hearts to love this Mother Earth. Much love to you.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.